listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today we're going to be dealing with uh, fake religion. I'm going to give you a few, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a few, uh, markers. I was doing some devotions this morning as I do each morning. And, uh, the, the Lord really impressed this upon my heart, uh, to deal with this because, uh, the Bible warns against fake religion, false religion. And, uh, I'm not just talking about the people in church that are like fall. I'm talking about, you can look at the scripture and it gives us markers gives us markers and um, to identify false religion or something that's displeasing to God, obviously. False religion is displeasing to God. He doesn't want us to have uh, just the image uh, of, of being religious. And I'm going to show you that from scripture, but he wants us to do what the Bible teaches that's pleasing to him. Now, here's the thing. The crazy thing to me is that we're seeing so much of this in the body of Christ. Let me give you an example. Um, we have, like, 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 let me give you one. You've got this debate that's rage, that's been raging, you know, for uh, probably five, what, 500 years? Close, coming up on 500 years uh, about the difference between uh, the sovereignty of God, the free will of God, right? Or the free will of man. So we're talking about Calvinists, Armenians, you know, uh, do you, are you a Calvinist? Are you an Armenian? Do you believe in free will? Do you believe in sovereignty? Th- those two things. Well, one of the things, and it's, I understand that there's a debate on both sides, but what we're really seeing is that people get so embroiled in debates and arguments and things that they're, that they're going back and forth on that they forget the number one thing which is to love your brother and sister in Christ. And then what happens is, is that they get so embroiled in their debates and their arguments. And I'm not talking about uh, uh, arguing against heresies. Obviously heresies are wrong and should not be uh, preached. But, you know, things that there is a true debate on both sides, there are, uh, I'll give you another one that's just like, just like the salvation issue, is uh, the, the uh, end times Bible prophecy issue where you got people going at each other because this person's uh, a pre-tribulation believer, this person's a second coming post-tribulation believer, uh, all these different things. And this person's a dispensationalist and this one's not. And so they start, you know, going hard at each other online and, you know, forgetting about the fact (laughs) that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. And above all, we love one another, right? And uh, that we're here to build up one another. And yes, we're trying to get to always the truth of every situation, but you never do it at the expense of loving God and loving your brother or sister. And so I'm going to show you that in a minute because we're going to look at some markers. And by the way, if you're just jumping on, uh, share the broadcast this morning. Let's get this out. It's Breakthrough Friday. We're going to be praying for miracles at the end. Uh, I've been getting text messages from you guys. We have people that are in desperate need of miracles, of healing, 
uh, of breakthrough in their lives. And um, I forwarded a couple even to my wife this morning because there are people who need a touch from God. And our eyes are never off of that fact. Uh, We know people are in need of a touch from the Lord. And so today at the end of Breakthrough Friday, we're going to pray and we're going to join our faith together as the Victory Tribe. And we're going to pray for those that are in need, pray for those that are believing for healing, miracles. And, uh, and so stay tuned for that because we need to join our faith together because there's some urgent things uh, that have come in via text message. And that's why I tell you uh, to be a part of the text family because I can get these messages readily. And so if you have not yet signed up, please sign up and be a part of uh, the text family on the Victory Tribe. All you have to do is go to miracleword.com forward slash text. And if you'll go there and just fill out that form, it puts your contact info in my phone book. And then you and I can stay connected via text message. And the thing is, it's the best way to stay connected because with all of the social media algorithms always changing, you may not always see all of my posts. I may not always see all of yours. And then of course, social media is just flooded with messages. But with text message, we can stay uh, connected uh, all the time. And so we'll make sure that we uh, get your prayer requests. You can hear things that are going on with us. It's the best way to do it. And so if you want to do that, go for it. I'm going to pray today because, man, I want to see in the final six months of 2021, I want to see people holding their answers to their prayers in their hands. I want to see people holding answers in their hands. Jess Burton, we're going to pray for your mother-in-law. We're going to pray in Jesus' name and ask God to heal her and curse those cancer cells in the name of Jesus Christ. And so um, let's stay connected and let's keep praying for miracles and believing God that in the final six months of this year, it's going to be far greater than the first six months, even though they were great. Good morning, Ashley. Love you and Ted. Hey, Tamara. So let's jump in today. I'm in James chapter one. I'd like you to join me there in James chapter one. And let's look at some markers, uh, how we can clearly see what false religion is. Um, Or another way to say it would be worthless religion. Good morning, Tracy. Worthless religion. Um, So put that in the comments, worthless religion. That's, that's really, that's really a great, great way to say it because It strips all the value out of your relationship with Christ. It strips all of the value. It it, it goes from being valuable to worthless. And that's not what we want. We're not looking for that. I need a relationship with Christ that is fruitful, that's producing, that's pleasing to God. And so how do we identify? I mean, what what are some markers we can look at as the victory tribe to be, be able to know this is not, this is not the, the direction that I need to be going. See, because here's the thing. If you don't have the markers, then how can you ever form a path that keeps you in the right place? You have to have markers. I'll tell you, I, there, there was a, we went skiing last year in uh, Colorado. And I'll tell you something. I had only ever skied in uh, the, the East Coast. So I'd only ever skied like in West Virginia, up in New England, uh, places like that. And um, so, you know, I felt pretty confident. You know, I was like, yeah, I got this. I did it all the time growing up in youth group. 
And so I would go and I'd go on those uh, East Coast mountains, you know, the Appalachian uh, mountains, and I'd go, you know, I'd hit those blue squares with ease. I'd hit those black diamond hills with ease and come down and, you know, hit all that. Okay, well, I go out to Colorado and get on those mountains. And I thought I had the same skill. I was way up at the top of this massive mountain with my family. And I come out there and I'm like, okay, what's up with this? I, I, I'm gonna, you know, I was like, yeah, let me just ease in. Good morning, Juan. Hey, Rob. <laughs> Robert knows. He knows Colorado. I was like, let me just ease in to the uh, to this. I'm gonna hit myself a blue a blue square hill coming down the mountain. Well, let me just tell you something: that the mountains in the west are not the same <laughs> as the mountains in the east. And I found out the hard way. So I hit a blue diamond. And I'm like, yeah, I got this. I used to do black or a blue square. I was like, I used to do black diamonds. And here I come down and I'm, and I'm like, dude, this mountain is steep. And I'm talking like, I'm looking at a blue, blue square mountain. And it's like, this thing is as steep or steeper than the black diamonds I used to ski on the East coast. And I'm coming down, you know, trying to do my thing, my side to side thing. And, uh, oh, I just, and it was a little bit icy and I was like, bro, I, I couldn't slow myself down well enough and I didn't have control. I hadn't skied in a long time. I didn't have control and man, I ate it hard. I mean, hard blasted myself. Skis popped off. I smashed into the snow like hard. I, I so hard. And you know, here's the worst thing. The worst thing is when you crash hard on the same, on the same slope where the ski lift is going up because you're just, it's like a, a <laughs> listen, it's just like something for someone to watch. It's like watching a reality show as you go up on the ski lift and everybody is just watching you eat it. And, uh, it, it, it did, it, it busted me good enough to where I was like, I just laid there for a minute. <laughs> I thought about making snow angels. <laughs> that's, a, that's how hard I ate it hard, man. And uh, so I'm coming down. Well, we had hired, <laughs> it was, it was a live show for the skiers. We had hired, um, <laughs> Norman, if I'd have closed my eyes and trusted Jesus, I'd have probably killed somebody. Uh, but in all honesty, we had hired a, you know, an instructor for the kids. I was actually very proud of them. By the end, Maddie, Brooklyn, Teddy, all three of them were skiing and doing very well. Uh, Maddie even went down the big mountain with me on a green circle, just to let you know. But green circle is about all I could handle. <laughs> done. But we'd hired an instructor for the kids and they spent pretty much a half of an afternoon doing their instruction. And uh, they did really well. Well, they all went down the mountain and I think they went down on the big, huge uh, ski lift. I can't even remember what they called the thing with the, uh, the gondola, yeah. Went down on the gondola uh, to the bottom because it was lunchtime. And I was like, well, I'm gonna ski the hill one more time. And I was like, so I'll meet you guys at the bottom. Well, I go down and we're talking about markers. I'm coming down and either I didn't see it or it wasn't marked well enough because uh, the mountain's so large that as you're coming down the mountain, uh, it goes to multiple resorts. I mean, the mountain trails will lead you back to the entrance of multiple resorts that are not even close to each other. And so 
I'm going down and uh, either I was just so intently focused on staying up that I missed any um, markers or, or I just, or there just weren't any. I get to the bottom and they're, they're texting me like, where in the world are you? And I'm like, I'm, I'm at the bottom, you know, I'm coming down. Well, I realize I come out on the exact opposite side where there's a whole nother resort and I had to get on another ski lift, go all the way back to the top and come down again, try to make it. And uh, when I got to the bottom, they're like, yeah, that's actually very easy to do because the, um, the markers aren't super clear on the trails. And so I'm sitting there like uh, getting lost because there's no clear marker. And that's the point I'm teaching you this morning is that if there is no clear marker, you can end up just going any direction. That's why I'm showing you these markers today because if we don't want a worthless religion, if we don't want a worthless relationship, the markers have to be in place. See, if the markers aren't there, you'll just go any direction that you feel is right. Any direction that you feel is good. That's what I did. <laughs> I ended up in the wrong place. The key is we don't want to end up in the wrong place uh, when, we're, when we're living this life for Christ. So what do we do? We use the word of God to give us markers so we don't end up in the wrong place. It's a guide. It's not just that the Holy Spirit is your guide. The word of God is your guide. Now, the Holy Spirit will convict you to, of, of righteousness and convicts the world of sin. But the word of God lays out plain and clear markers so that we don't end up in the wrong place. Think, for example, of when Paul was instructing the Corinthians about how to set their relationships, right? Don't be unequally yoked with an unbeliever where there's, there's a marker. There's a marker. So you can just know without being led by the spirit, any of that, just by reading the word of God, you can say, okay, here's a marker for relationships. If I want to get into a relationship with this guy or with this girl, I just ask myself one simple question. Are they an unbeliever? Doesn't matter how nice they are. Doesn't matter how good they look in skinny jeans. It, the, the, the real question is, are they a believer or are they not a believer? Because if they're not, there's the marker that easily lets you make a decision so that you don't end up in the wrong place because Paul, by the Holy Spirit, has already given us a marker. And so we look for these markers throughout the word of God. They guide us and keep us in a place where we don't end up in the wrong spot where God's not blessing. You know, I, I've had people come to me, you know, in uh, Jerry Ramsey, nobody looks good in skinny jeans. <laughs> I mean, think about this now. Um, I think about the fact I've had so many people come to me, especially, you know, as a youth pastor, you know, many, many of you may not know I was a youth pastor for close to 10 years. And, uh, in that time, you know, I had people come to me and they'd say, man, I'm really having problems. And, you know, I'm having problems staying pure or living for the Lord or whatever it is. Well, why is that? I would, we'd have a conversation. Why is it? Well, you know, I'm in this relationship and so-and-so wants to take it further. I don't want to take it further and all this stuff. And it's like, well, hold on. Are they a Christian? Well, no, but you know, they're good. They're good people. You know, they're good people. They're, they're nice people, but that's not what the Bible teaches. And so now, and I've had this happen. I can't tell you how many times probably pastor Rob Conover could tell you the same thing in dealing with, with relationships that you have these issues because the markers are being ignored, right? The, the markers are being ignored. <laughs> Marcus remembers my, he remembers my, uh, AOL tag. Um, 
But if the markers are ignored, you're going to have problems because it's leading you to a place where God's not blessing. And in fact, the devil is working. And so it's no wonder to me that people were having issues with purity if they're linked up with an unbeliever. That's the whole reason Paul gave the instruction by the Holy Spirit is that it protects you from being connected to somebody who has no desire to serve the Lord, who has no desire to obey the word, who has no desire to listen to the Holy Spirit. In fact, they can't because they're dead in trespasses and in sins. And so the markers are valuable and the markers are important. Got to have them. You've got to have them. And so here I'm going to give you a marker for what we will call worthless religion. And I'm in James chapter one. And uh, let's start reading with verse 19. I think this is a great place, uh, a great place to begin. Listen to James 1 19. We'll read down uh, and probably finish with around verse 26. But listen to this. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Yeah, and I love what uh, Pastor Rob Conover is saying here. We, we do make the Christian life much more difficult than it needs to be when we ignore these markers. So let's talk about this marker right here in James 1.19. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Well, well let's, let's read verse 20 and find out why. Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There you go. There's the reason that this command is coming to the body of Christ, this marker. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. You know, if you start operating in anger, obviously you're going to begin to step outside of the fruit of the spirit, right? Are you walking? Now it is possible to be angry and not sin. Bible says so, but many times the anger of man, and by the way, the anger of man is different than a righteous anger or a righteous indignation is different. It's totally different. One is, one is your spirit man getting angry. The other is your flesh getting angry. Let's make this distinction real quick. What's the difference between righteous indignation, righteous anger and fleshly anger. Righteous anger is when a Christian's spirit becomes angry about something that's going on either in the, the natural realm, spirit realm, whatever, but fleshly anger is when your flesh gets angry based on carnal things, carnal things. And so it's okay to have, you know, it's, it's okay to be angry, but you don't sin. You don't take actions based on your fleshly anger. Now, Jesus took a- actions based on his righteous indignation. How you, you remember the story. He goes into the temple. They're cheating people and charging too much for, for sacrifices. And he flips the tables over, makes his own whip and beats them out of the temple, drives them out of the temple. And no question, Jesus was angry. No question he was. And he did those things that he did in righteous indignation. Did he sin? No, Jesus never sinned. He never sinned. So you can be angry, righteously indignant about something and not sin. 
But the danger that, that James is, is preaching about is fleshly anger, carnal anger. And so what's our marker here? Uh, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Because the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So, uh, and this is something we all, including myself, have to deal with on a daily basis. Not letting your flesh take control of your life. Uh, why does it say we should be quick to hear and slow to speak? Well, by a showing of your hands in the comments section, let me ask you this. How many of you have ever gotten angry about something or started getting offended or, or, or really riled up because somebody said something, but maybe you didn't understand fully what they were saying, or you misinterpreted what they said, or you heard it from somebody else without context of what they said. How many of you have ever had that happen to you before? Throw a hand up in the comments. And you were like, you just immediately jumped into being ticked off instead of figuring out what's going on. Well, uh, there's a reason that the Bible uh, tells us to be slow to speak and slow to anger, but quick to hear. I was reading a book and I would recommend this book to you guys that are in the tribe as well. It's really, really good, especially when you're dealing with um, other people who have differences of belief systems than you have. Uh, doesn't matter if whether they're in Christianity, whether they're outside of Christianity, it doesn't matter. They could be a Muslim, they could be an atheist. And uh, the book is called Tactics. That's the name of the book, Tactics. It's got a chessboard on the front, I believe, with a, a chess piece. It's written by a guy called uh, Gregory Kokel. And I think that's K-O-U-K-L. Gregory Kokel. Uh, it's called Tactics. And he teaches you tactics to use in conversation when you're dealing with somebody that doesn't believe like you believe. And um, one of the things that I think is genius, I think it's absolutely genius, uh, is because when we hear something that's, that, that's said, whether we, whether we realize we do this or not, we definitely do this. Somebody could say something to you and you will hear it and interpret it with your own preconceived idea. You will do that without question. Uh, you will, I mean, and, and, and here's the crazy thing. I know this as a preacher. I can stand in the pulpit and preach something and I can have, you know, 10 people get super blessed by it, 10 people not understand it, and 10 people get offended by it. <laughs> same thing. I said the same thing. And in one moment, 10 people are blessed. I'll give you this. 10 get revelation, 10 get blessed, 10 don't understand, 10 get offended. In, in, by All by me saying one thing, it's all the same. But look at this. Part of what's going on is they're hearing what I'm saying and filtering it through their own preconceived ideas, right? So let me give you an example of what I mean. Uh, what if you said to somebody, uh, do you believe Jesus is coming back? Well, if somebody that believes in a pre-tribulation rapture gets that question, they may think to themselves and say to you, well, of course, yeah, he's coming back. But what they mean when they say, yes, I believe that is that I believe he's coming back to rapture his church. 
Now, you may talk to somebody that's not a dispensationalist, that does not believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. They're just going to believe in the second coming of Christ. And you say to them, do you believe Jesus is coming back? And they say, absolutely, I believe he's coming back. But they don't believe he's coming back in a rapture. They believe he's coming back after the tribulation or times of tribulation in his second coming. And so you said the same thing, but both of those people interpreted it, gave you the same answer, but interpreted it in two very different ways. And so people will hear what you say and filter it through their own preconceived ideas. They just will. It's just how it works. And one of the gems, I believe, of this book, Tactics, is that uh, he tells you to ask a very important question all the time, not just once. Anytime you're dealing with stuff, he's like, ask this important question every time. And I want you to write it in the comments. And here's the question. What do you mean by that? It's an excellent question. Excellent question. What do you mean by that? VB Gospel knows, said, I love that book. Read it before I traveled abroad for work. Helped me adjust the way I listen to others without judging or getting offended. And that's what it'll do. And that's what we're talking about right now in this context. Put that in. They ask the question, what do you mean by that? It's an excellent question to ask. Because... Let's just say in the example that I just gave, uh, if somebody were to ask you, what do you mean by that? And even with a question that's, or, or a statement that seems super simplified, even if it seems super simplified, many times by asking this question, you'll be able to break down the, the, their filter, right? So, uh, let, let's just take the example I just gave you right? Do you believe Jesus is coming back? Oh, here's the question. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by, do I believe is Jesus coming back? Do you, and then there's where you get to the crux of the question. Maybe they are asking you about the pre-tribulation rapture. Maybe they are asking you about the second coming. You know, maybe they, maybe there's somebody that believes the Bible's false and they don't believe that there's going to be a return of Christ. So just by asking one question, you're now causing the person you're talking to, to break down even further, um, what they believe. And then it starts to engages where you can actually have a conversation based on things, you know, not on what you think you heard them say. I'll give you another example by this, uh, of this people say, let's go away from the question side. Let's go to someone just makes a statement to you. Let's say you're talking to somebody, uh, and you, uh, and you hear them make a statement that you disagree with, instead of disagreeing with them right off the bat, ask the question, what do you mean by that? So, so here's an example. What if you came into contact with somebody and they were like, you know, I don't believe that whole prosperity gospel. I don't believe that whole prosperity gospel. Great question here would be, well, what do you mean by prosperity gospel? See, that opens up the whole thing because what you may think it means may not be what they think it means. And so, you know what you have is you got somebody says, well, I don't believe in that prosperity gospel. Well, what, what do you mean by prosperity gospel? Let them, let them define their filter. Let them define and break down what they believe to you. Instead of you just being like, I'm telling you the prosperity is God's will for everybody. Instead of you going into a debate, get them to define 
their own filter so that you know what you're working with. You know what you're working with. Because let me say something. What if I was talking to somebody and, uh, and I said to them, well, what do you mean by prosperity gospel? And they're like, well, you, get, you got these guys on TV that are telling you if you send in $1,000, you know, that they'll, they'll give you a personal prophecy. If you send in $1,000, that you'll have a special healing anointing come on your life. Well, in that context, if that's what you think the prosperity gospel is, I don't agree with that either. And so we'd be on the same page. We wouldn't define it the same because I don't believe that's the prosperity message. But if that's what you think it is, now I have an opportunity to say to you, well, yeah, I don't, we're on the same page with that. I don't agree with that either. I think that's wrong. I think that's absolutely wrong and manipulative and against the word of God. Well, now you're on common ground. Do you know how much easier it is to have a conversation with somebody when you're on common ground with them? Super easy. And, and they already begin to feel affirmed. They already begin to feel like you're already on their team. And so now they're willing to open up even more and speak to you on this subject. But now it gives you the ability to minister to that person. Okay. So in this situation, we say, okay, well, I don't believe in that prosperity gospel. All right. Well, what do you mean by prosperity gospel? Well, it's these guys on TV, send in a thousand dollars and you'll have a special anointing or I'll give you a personal prophecy. Yeah, you're right, man. You know, I, I don't believe in that either. I think that's a very terrible thing. I think it's a manipulative thing. I think it's not backed by scripture and God will judge them for what they're doing. Then you could say this, but don't you believe like Jesus taught in Matthew seven, that God is a loving heavenly father that ha- that wants to give good gifts to those that ask him to his children. Well, yeah, you know, I, I believe God's good. Okay. And do you believe that, uh, God's a better father to his children than we are to our children? Well, yeah, you know, of course, I mean, God's God, he's perfect. You know, these are the kind of conversations you're going to have. Well, wouldn't it make sense then that as we are concerned with the, uh, economic financial provision, well-being of our children, that God would be much more concerned about the financial and economic, uh, welfare of his children. You might get a no. No, I don't believe God's concerned uh, with finances. Here we go again. What do you mean by you don't believe God's concerned with the well-being of his children? Then they have to define that. Well, the reason I don't believe that he's concerned about the financial well-being of his children, you see how it goes? And so what happens is what are, you're actually obeying James 1.19, what I'm teaching you right now. You're actually... You're actually obeying James 1.19. What are you doing? You're being quick to hear, quick to hear, quick to hear. How is that? Well, they said something to you. And instead of just retorting, you want to hear more about what they're saying. I want to hear more. I want to hear more about this. So you don't believe that? Oh, what do you mean by the the fact you don't believe that? I'm not even retorting yet. I'm not even replying yet. I'm just learning more about what you believe. See, here's the thing, and I want you to write this in the comments. You already know everything you believe, but you don't know what others believe. I already know everything I know. I want to know what you know, (laughs) right? I already know everything I know. I want to know what you know. That's a great thought. Right? Ken, Ken said, I grew up in a time when people thought that the most humble people in the world were the poorest people in the world. And that is wrong. 
that is wrong. And so, uh, no question. I want you to put this in the comments. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I already know it. I already know what I believe. I want to know what you believe. I already know everything I know. I want to know what you know. And so it helps you trust me when I tell you just by using this one tactic, just this one tactic will put your head and shoulders above the rest when dealing with other people who may be on it or, or it seems to be that they're on a different page than you're on. And so we are what quick to hear. We are also slow to speak and slow to anger. Maybe now, now let me give you this. Okay. What if the information's wrong? I'm going to show you how these markers will help you from false or worthless religion. What if, what if the, the information you got is wrong? Right? So, so-and-so tells you, did you hear what somebody said about you? Did you hear what they said did they, or whatever? And you get information that somebody has done something against you, said something against you, whatever it may be. Here's a great tactic. Well, we got to follow the markers in the word. Okay. What are the markers in the word? First of all, the Bible teaches that we're quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. But then the Bible also teaches what? If you have something against your brother or sister, we're supposed to go to them one-on-one, not in a crowd of people, one-on-one. And we go to that person personally and we discuss it. And without being angry, without being offended, just being normal, just like this. Hey, I, I, something got back to me that you had said, um, you know, let's just say for, um, let's give you an example. Let's say somebody said something like this about you and it kind of ticked you off. They say like, oh, I know so-and-so she always has to be right. She always has to be right. Let's say they said something like that. And that can, you could be offensive as if they think you're, you know, prideful and whatever. Um, and, and it's disarming, right? We go to somebody and say, Hey, I was talking to so-and-so and, and they were saying, um, that, that you were, you were observing that I'm the kind of person that always has to be right. What did you, what do you mean? What did you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And, uh, you know, first of all, disarming by just being calm here. You're not all raising your voice and, you know, hunching up your shoulder. What do you mean by that? No, it's like, you know, you're talking to him like, Hey, I was talking to so-and-so the other day and, uh, they were mentioning that you had observed that, um, I'm one of those people that feels like I always have to be right. You know, you could even do it jokingly, but what, what, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? And then they'll, well, you know, you know, people don't want, most people hate confrontation. So they're not going to want a confrontation most of the time, but, uh, you begin to talk about it. Well, this is also the biblical way because rather than starting things back and forth without ever actually talking to the person, you go to the root of it and you know what happens if you can solve it there, it's all done. And love is, love is restored. Fellowships restored. Okay. Now, if they have an issue with you and they want to hold something against you, then you know, and it's not about being you being prideful, but then what do you do? The Bible says you go back with a witness. You br maybe bring the person back that told you about it, that they had a conversation with and say, Hey, 
you know, I, I just want to make sure. And you, you do it in total humility, total humility, right? And, um, and then finally, the, before the elders of the church. But, you know, you know what you'll learn? Maybe they didn't even say that. Maybe that's not even what they said. Maybe it wasn't even in the context that you heard it. But you give them time to explain it. And maybe it is something that you say, hey, you know what? Maybe I do need to take a look at this. Maybe this is something I need to take a look at. So notice this now. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. I love this. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. I love that phrase, the implanted word. Put that in the comments. The implanted word, the word of God planted in your spirit, the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Now here's the real crux of the matter. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves for anyone is for, if anyone is a, a hearer of the word, but not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he looks like right now, jump down to verse 26. This is going to give us a marker for worthless religion. Verse 26. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Look at that. This person's religion, which one, the person who doesn't bridle their tongue, is worthless. Do you know, think about this. It takes a lifetime. It takes years to build up a good reputation. It only takes minutes to destroy it. (laughs) I want, I want you to put this in the comments section because this will help you for the rest of your life. It takes years to build up a good reputation. It only takes minutes to destroy it. Put that quote in. It takes years to build a good reputation. It only takes minutes to destroy it. That's it. And the key is, what are we saying here? Is you can study the word as much as you want, read the word as much as you want, all those different things. But let me tell you something. You cannot and absolutely cannot act in a way that is different than what the word teaches and still think, well, you know, I study the word. I read the word. doesn't matter if, if you're not a doer of the word, right? If you're not a doer of the word, Bible says your religion's worthless. Your religion is worthless. And that's not what we want. It's not about just being a hearer. Anybody can hear the word. But as Jesus said, only the ones who love me will do the word. Only the ones who love me will do the word. And so the key here is, he says, if anyone's a hearer and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently in the mirror, walks away and forgets what he looks like. Why is that? Because this word is a mirror. Because of the markers 
we have something to measure ourselves to, right? And so if you know what neat hair looks like, if you know what neat clothing and out and an outfit looks like, you know, not messy, not disheveled, not wrinkled, not out of place, right? You wouldn't even know if you look wrinkled unless you looked in that mirror. And then you say, well, hold on a second. I'm wrinkled. That means I need to make a change to what I'm wearing, what I'm doing. But without the mirror, you don't have a marker. That's why the word of God is a mirror. When you look into it and read it and study it, it's giving you markers. It's giving you things that need to change. It's giving you a standard to live up to. And see, that's why he said, if you read it and then go away and forget, well, what's the point of that? Your, your religion's worthless. A lot of people, there's atheists that can quote the scripture. There's unbelievers. There's Satanists that can quote the scripture. Doesn't mean they do it. But they know it. The devil knows the scripture. He doesn't obey it. He just knows it. The word is a mirror because it's a marker that gives you a standard. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, his religion is worthless. So what are we? Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. That's, I mean... Anybody that has a dominant personality has to work on that. Anybody with a dominant personality has to work on that. And and it's something that needs to be worked on to be like Christ. No question. So that's one area that you can quickly see that a person's religion is totally worthless. But let me give you another marker. Let me give you another marker back to second Timothy chapter three, a very important passage. We dealt with, uh, what was it? Two days ago. We dealt with this on the 19 end time personalities, um, that you need to avoid, but let me go back to this. Uh, just this one verse, because I want to show you another marker that needs to be closely watched. Closely watched. Second Timothy chapter three. And let me just give you uh, verses, verse one and verse five. 2 Timothy 3, verse 1 and verse 5. But understand this, in the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Then we dealt with all these things, but let me give you the last one. Verse 5, there will be people who have the appearance of godliness, but deny its power. Deny its power. Look at this, avoid such people. Avoid such people. So here's another marker of worthless religion is religion or people in a religion that have a form or a fashion of godliness, but they deny God's power. That is a warning. That's a warning to our generation. And the reason I know it's to our generation, because Paul said in the last days, well, the last days, according to the apostle Peter began on the day of Pentecost. 
For Joel, the prophet prophesied in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And then Peter said on the day of Pentecost, this is that that was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days, says God, I'll pour out my spirit upon all flesh. So Peter was letting us know by inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the day of Pentecost began the last days. So when Paul says in the last days, there'll come times of difficulty, that's our generation. We are living in the last days. We can clearly see people who have a form of godliness, but deny the power of God. How many churches can you uh, put your finger on and say, here's another church that they have services, they have, you know, liturgy, they have a form, they've got traditions, but they deny God's power. Here's a church that doesn't pray for the sick. Here's a church that does not believe in the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Here's a church that doesn't believe in the gifts of the spirit. Here's a church. I mean, you can go right down the list. You can go right down the list. And for whatever reason, they've done it to stay relevant. But here's the key. They've denied the power of God. What, what do we do with Christians who say that it's God no longer heals people, that it's no longer God's will to heal, that it's no longer God's will for there to be gifts of the spirit in manifestation. They're denying the very power of God. They don't believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for today, that speaking in tongues is for today, that prophecy is for today. They are denying the power of God. And the Bible says, avoid such people. And so there, there's a marker. There's a marker. I never want to get to the place, and I never, obviously I never would, but don't ever want to be in a place where we claim or say that uh, God's power is not for today or it's not for a certain person. No, no, you got to look at the fruit of somebody's life. Where are the actions? As Liz just said, where are the actions? Do you believe it? Because if you do, you'll be a doer of the word, not a hearer only. Listen, if I believe that God touches people by his power, I'll do what the Bible says and lay hands on people. That's why if you come to one of our revivals, wherever we might be holding one, that you'll see me laying hands on people often, often. You know why I do it? Because I believe you can release the power of God because I believe the power of God's for today. And so as a result, I do what the Bible says and lay hands on people. Do you know why I anoint people with oil? I do it in almost every revival, almost every revival. We usually take one of the nights and anoint every family with oil. You know why? Because the Bible says to do it. The Bible says to do it. And I believe James chapter five. I believe what the Bible says. And so I do it. I'm not just going to be a hearer of the word. I'll be a doer. I'll be a doer. We anoint people with oil because the Bible says to do it. I pray the prayer of faith because the Bible says to do it. I lay my hands because the Bible says to do it. And we see God move. We see people get healed. We see people get delivered. You know why? Because God, he confirms his word with signs following. And we need to not just be hearers, but doers. It blew my mind when I started seeing a Pentecostal denomination, that's the largest in the world, begin to back away from being doers of the word. And this is like one of the most prominent Pentecostal denominations that there are. And here they are with their leaders backing away backing away, backing away from the move of the Holy Spirit, from the commands of scripture. 
one of their branches in Canada was having such poor results and fruit on an annual basis, they had to launch a nationwide initiative to go into these uh, churches with their elders and see, are you still practicing Pentecostal distinctives and doctrines? Are you still practicing uh, the tenets of our faith based on the word of God that we believe? Do you still give altar calls? Because nobody's being reported as saved. Do you still baptize in water? Are you still laying hands on the sick? Are you still ministering people the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Are you still doing these things? Because when we get the, the reports back at the national office, we're not seeing salvations reported. We're not seeing uh, baptisms reported. We're not seeing baptisms in the Holy Ghost reported. What is going on? And these are Pentecostal denominations. What's going on that we've got churches filled with people that are hearers of the word, but not doers. The Bible says they've got a form of godliness, but they deny the power. You can ask questions, Liz. You can ask questions as we go. Yes, I know it. Brother Ken said he's been part of that denomination his whole life and it grieves his spirit to see how we've relegated the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the back room. It breaks his heart. I feel the same way as Brother Ken does because it's not something that should be relegated to the back room. Jesus was clear that it would take place and then all of the apostles understanding Christ's desire made sure that it was the first thing that happened after salvation. You read the narrative of the book of Acts. God made sure it happened as soon as it was possible to be a believer. I mean, literally 50 days after the resurrection so that God would fulfill this on the feast of Pentecost, which he did with all of the spring feasts. He fulfilled them on the day of the feast. That's why he waited. People are like, well, why did, why did God wait 50 days to give the Holy Spirit? He was waiting for a prophetic feast day, just like he did with the other ones. Jesus was crucified on a prophetic feast day. He was resurrected on a prophetic feast day, and he sent the Holy Spirit on a prophetic feast day, a Jewish feast day. Those things aren't arbitrary. God did it in his own timing that he established. It's not just sitting around with, oh, I forgot to send the Holy Spirit to the new believers. No, he's waiting for Pentecost. It's waiting for Pentecost. But then after the day of Pentecost, every time people start getting saved, they got baptized in the Holy Ghost. What? That's what Philip did in Acts 8. Soon as they all got saved, they called for Peter and John, who came from Jerusalem, laid their hands on every believer, and got them filled with the Holy Ghost. That's what happened in Cornelius' house. It happened as they were preaching. They all got filled with the Holy Ghost. In Ephesus, Paul laid his hands on 12 men. After they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, he then laid his hands on them instantly, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, began to speak with other tongues and prophesy. It's the pattern of the book of Acts. It's the narrative. That's the desire of God. So to see it relegated to the back room is a very sad thing. It's displeasing to the Lord. It's very displeasing to the Lord. What is it? It's a form of godliness that denies his power. For what? Some acceptance? Acceptance by dead people? 
so that sinners don't feel uncomfortable. We're going to start curating our services in such a way that it makes sinners comfortable. What a crazy idea. What a dumb idea. We need to formulate our services so that people who are dead in their trespasses and sins think it's really good when they come. What a dumb idea. Dumb idea. Do what the Bible says and let the gospel do its work. You know, it's funny. I had somebody write me recently on, on Instagram. They didn't like the thing that I posted about, um, you know, what seeker sensitive churches do today versus what the apostle Paul through the inspiration of the Holy spirit told people, you know, specifically Timothy to do in the churches. Uh, and they were all upset that I, that I posted that. Well, your, your social media is a public forum. I know it's a public forum. That's why I posted it publicly because I want the public to read the comment. I wasn't slamming any individual. I didn't slam any church by name or any individual by name. I'm dealing with a principle. The principle that I dealt with, if you saw my post on Twitter or Instagram, is that modern day seeker sensitive churches are t- doing their best to make sure that no one's ever uncomfortable, no one's ever awkward. It's, and there's no preaching against sin. There's nothing that would call people to repentance. Whereas Paul taught, if people persist in sin, mark them and literally rebuke them in front of all so that the fear of God may come upon them. That's an instruction from the Holy Spirit. Well, I don't like that because you, you posted that in a public forum. It's not just to leaders. No, it's for everybody because I'm trying to get a principle across to the minds of today's Christian that this system is not right and this system is right. I'm not calling out individuals. I'm not condemning people. I'm showing you the difference, the disparities between a modern day culture and church system and a biblical New Testament apostolic church system. It's okay for everybody in there that's still in their diapers in their mother's basement. It's okay to pull out the differences between what's going on in culture and Christian culture and what the Bible says to do. It's not wrong to do that in a public forum. It's what spiritual leaders like myself do. It's what you do. I'm sorry that people aren't smart enough to get that, but that's what you do. Well, you know, people are, well, I wasn't the only one that thought your comment was inappropriate. I don't care if you think my comment's inappropriate. You probably have your own issue with it. I don't have an issue. I'm saying what the Bible says versus what's happening in society. (laughs) It's ridiculous. And that's what spiritual leaders are supposed to do. They're supposed to call these things out. They're supposed to say it publicly. I know that the, you know, people are so dumb. It's like, why don't you start a a Facebook page that's just for spiritual leaders and say it only to them? Because I'm not trying to only say it to them. I'm trying to say it to everyone. The spiritual leader that sees it will look at that and say, you know what? Our methods are contrary to the instructions of scripture. The believer that sees it will say, you know what? If I'm a part of these systems, I don't need to be a part of them anymore. I need to be a part of a biblically based system where people aren't soft on sin, when people aren't soft on the gospel, where people aren't soft on the Holy Ghost. Wish that guy that wrote me could have been around when Jesus was, was alive so he could have rebuked Jesus for dealing harshly with the Pharisees in public in front of the ears of other people who weren't religious leaders. People aren't smart. I'm just telling you, the average person's not that smart. 
especially the religious person. Thank God for people that have a brain. You look at society. You can't look at society today and tell me that the average person's that swift because they're not. And they've, they've even written articles on this called the dumbing down of America. Did you know that there's an actual plan, an antichrist agenda to dumb down the population, to make them more unintelligent than they've ever been? Did you know that today they gave, I'm trying to remember, I'll have to pull this study for you. They did a thing where they gave a group of high school seniors a test that you used to have to pass to graduate the eighth grade years ago, decades ago, and the majority of high school seniors failed the test. Failed it. Failed it. You've got people graduating from high school that can't even read. So don't tell me that the average person's that swift when they're ab- absolutely not. And that's the, the desire of the Antichrist system and spirit to dumb us down, to dumb people down. They don't want people reading the word of God. They don't want people understanding. Forget, and, and forget just the average being intelligent. They don't want people to be intelligent. The more unintelligent a person is, the easier it is to control them. The more unintelligent a person is, the easier it is to control them. Bethany Hooker said, I taught high school. I saw it firsthand. And let me just tell you something. It's sad, but it's the spirit of this world. It's the spirit of this world. The easier it is to control people who are unintelligent, the more the, those in, that in the powers that be want people to be unintelligent. They don't want us to know what's going on. They don't want us to understand or even know what to do. And what do they do? They just keep giving people little treats. Here's a little treat for you. Just keep doing what we say. Here's a little treat. Here's a little treat. Vote the way we say. Here's a cell phone. Here, have some government cheese. It'll only get you constipated for about a week. They don't want people to rise up and be intelligent and do what they should do. They just want little lemmings. Keeping them dumb. Keeping them on the, I got to keep hitting the thing so I can get another droplet. People aren't, and I'm going to tell you something. I blame spiritual leaders, which is why this article I've got coming out in the brand new magazine, Maddie, you can pop it up on the screen. It's called Blind Guides. Blind Guides. How spiritual leaders have lied to an entire population and generation about the Holy Ghost. Yeah, here's some donuts for getting the vaccine. Just keep doing what we say. We'll give you some beer and a donut. We care about your health. We care about your health. So eat these Krispy Kremes. Dumb. And people are like, yeah, what a great idea. What a great idea. Unbelievable. Because people don't think for themselves. They just do whatever people tell them to do. They've done studies on that too. They've done psychological studies on the fact that with, if, if done with authority, most people will just do what someone tells them to do. Yeah. Shout out to all the sheep. What I'm telling you is we've got markers so we don't end up this way. We've got markers so we don't end up this way. And the word of God's giving us markers. What are they? Number one, quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. And what does the Bible say? The Bible tells us, James chapter one, where I just read to you, that if we don't bridle the tongue, our religion 
is worthless. Here in 2 Timothy 3, that if people have a form of godliness, deny its power, avoid them. Religion's worthless. Religion's worthless. Notice what Jesus rebuked the Pharisees for. Always trying to put all these heavy religious demands on everybody all the time. Legalism. And I'm not talking about holiness. I believe in holiness. But I'm talking about you've got people that all they do is condemn, condemn, condemn. They're never, you know, I looked at one of the things that really um, I saw over this last year is people who uh, became Facebook prophets through the pandemic, Facebook prophets. One of the ways you can know that it's not of God is every time people start uh, prophesying gloom and doom with no way out. No light at the end of the tunnel, no way out. It's just gloom and doom, gloom and doom, gloom and doom, gloom and doom. God's judging us. God's judging America. God's ju- all these different things. And there's no, God didn't even do that in the Old Testament. You know what the Old Testament prophets would say? They'd say this, this, and this is coming upon you unless you do this, this, and this. And then I'll come to you and I'll restore you and I'll heal your land. Right? That's how Old Testament prophets even did it. Before there was, you know, before we had Christ and before there was the dispensation of grace, any of that, it was still, yes, the judgment will come unless you hearken to the words of the Lord your God and do all that I command you this day. You know, it was always, this is the punishment that's coming unless you turn, unless you turn. You're not seeing that. It's just a straight condemnation. It's a straight heavy word. Self-appointed Facebook prophets. I was looking at a meme today that made me laugh. It was a pie chart and it said, who made you a prophet? And the whole pie chart was one color. And the key said me, (laughs) who made you a prophet? Me. And that's what you get a lot of today. People that are just sitting around prophesying. They're not prophets. They don't even have a prophetic word in their mouth. Don't listen to that. It's just straight condemnation. It's a heavy word. That's all it is. That's all it is. We have markers. We have markers. So our, the key for us, our religion's not worthless. The way that you develop a powerful relationship with Christ, a powerful relationship with God, is that you become a producer. A producer. You know what I said to the guy? I said, why don't you worry more about, I said, my ministry's already producing fruit. Why don't you worry more about producing fruit than getting on Instagram to try to bring correction to somebody you don't even know, which is a stupid thing to do. And I'm talking about individuals. I can't imagine going to an individual I don't even know on Facebook and private messaging them to correct them. I don't even, I've never met them in my life. I have no relationship with them. Yeah, that's really going to be received. What a waste of time. And when I told him, why don't you worry about producing fruit for the kingdom of God? He said, oh, producing fruit. What a throw off. As, as though, as though that's like a, a dismissive thing. No, it's the, it's the actual thing. Become a producer, a producer. God cares about what's produced, not what's said. What's produced, not what's said. I have a parable to back that up, by the way. Jesus said, if, you, if a man had two sons and he told them both to do a certain thing and the first one said, I'm not doing it. And then went out and did it. And the second one said, I'll do it. And then went out and didn't do it. Which one's going to get the reward? It's not based on what they said. It's based on what they did. It doesn't matter that he said, I'm not doing it, but he still went out and did it. 
God's interested in what you do. I want you to put this in the comments before we pray. I must be a producer. I must be a producer. You have to always be looking at your life in light of the markers of the word and ask, what am I producing? What am I producing? Do I just talk a good game? Do I just talk the talk or do I walk the walk? I must be a producer. Do I just talk the talk or do I walk the walk? Which one is it? See, because if you're going to see God's blessing flood your life, it's got to be with the production of fruit, the production of fruit. Did you know that God is always watching the vine dresser? The Bible says he's always watching to see if the branches are producing fruit. Are they producing fruit? Let me read to you from John 15. Then we're going to pray. Listen, Jesus is speaking this whole thing. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word I've spoken to you abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers and branches are gathered and thrown into the fire to be burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit, catch this, and so prove to be my disciples. What's the proof you're a disciple? What is the proof you're a disciple that you bear much fruit? Fruit producers, fruit producers that you bear much fruit. Put it in the, put it in the comments like this. Fruit proves discipleship. Fruit proves discipleship. That's vital. That's vital. Fruit proves discipleship. Couldn't be more. That, that's, that's, that's the takeaway, man. That's the takeaway. How do you know your, how do you keep yourself from a worthless, dead, dry religion? Produce fruit. You know how churches become dead? They stop winning souls. They stop yielding themselves to the Holy Spirit. So the fruit's not there. And when the fruit's not there, they're dried up. They're dried up. That's how churches die. That's how Christians get cold. That's how they fall away. They stop producing fruit. You got to produce fruit if you're a disciple. Fruit proves discipleship. Without question. Without question. Let me pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for every person that's watching today. First of all, Lord, we pray that you would give us a strong hunger to produce fruit in the kingdom of God, to win souls, to see the sick healed, to see people filled with the Holy Ghost, to see the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, to see people delivered from addictions. Give us a strong hunger to see fruit produced in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. 
Lord, anything that would try to crop up or creep up in us that would put us in that place of false religion or worthless religion, let it be burned out today by the fire of the Holy Ghost. Burned out today in Jesus' mighty name. Lord, I'm asking you today for those that are watching on this Breakthrough Friday, they need miracles. They need healing in their body. They need breakthrough in their lives. I'm praying now for every member of this Victory Tribe, listening or watching, I take authority over every sickness and disease that's tried to plague their body. We send the word to them now, Lord, let healing virtue come upon them and destroy every sickness and disease. I take authority over the cancer that showed up in the hospital, the brain cancer. In Jesus name, I command every cancer cell to die and shrivel and pass from the body in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, let a miracle take place by the power of your spirit and take all the glory for it. I pray for those that are struggling today. I pray for those that are battling addictions, those that seem to be in an invisible prison and can't seem to get free. Touch them today. Open the prison doors and I thank you that they're going free by the power of the Holy Ghost. Satan, loose your grip on God's people in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray with Diane for family restoration. Lord, let this be the year that as for me and my house, as for them and their house, they all serve the Lord. Let this be the year that families all come into the kingdom and fully and wholeheartedly serve the Lord together in Jesus name. Let marriages be restored. We've had uh, uh, messages come in. Let marriages be restored, Lord, in Jesus name. Heal it, bring it peace, bring it joy and restore and heal the marriage. Lord, I pray for the one who today wrote in with a prayer request, no more miscarriages in the mighty name of Jesus. Touch her womb, touch her body by the power of the Holy Ghost. I take authority over whatever this is that would continue to cause miscarriages. No more loss of life, no more miscarriage in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. I pray that she becomes safely pregnant, that she carry the baby, a safe and healthy pregnancy, healthy baby, and give birth to a beautiful baby girl as she's requested. Lord, let that be the answer to her prayer and let it come to pass in, in this year. In Jesus' name, let her pregnancy begin this year. In Jesus' mighty name. And we thank you, Lord, that that will be her blessing. For those that are battling, we thank you, Lord, today is a day of freedom. Touch your people in the wonderful name of Jesus. We thank you. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And if you believe it today, somebody shout amen, throw some hands up, throw some fire up in the comments section. Let me know you believe it too. And you're standing uh, with me and with us as the Victory Tribe for answered prayer in Jesus' name. Answered prayer. And listen again, if you want to, uh, Maddie, can you hit, hit the play button on the text opt-in right there on that? It's at the top of the thing on the sources. You see it? The very top. Thank you. This right here, if you want to get involved and be able to send those prayer requests and text me and stay in contact with me, go right there to the website on the screen, miracleword.com forward slash text. Sign up. Uh, Diane will make sure that you're getting your texts. Uh, I see them as they're coming in. I, I actually was looking this morning and seeing new people signing up. Um, it's great to have, great to have people signed up. Really, really wonderful. I appreciate it. Uh, 
Yesterday, Angela from Jamaica signed up. Uh, Constance, uh, Ken, I just, it's, it's great to have everybody connected. Ava, love you guys. And uh, as you're doing that, we'll be in touch with you. You'll get texts from me. You can text me back and put the contact in your phone so that you know it's me. Make sure you log my, I'm sending you my, uh, my contact card uh, via text. Make sure you log it into your contact so you know it's me when I'm texting you. Because people will forget, the funny thing is, people will forget they signed up and then they'll be like, they'll, they'll get a message like, hey, I'm praying for you today and I love you and I wanna know if you had any prayer requests. And they'll be like, wow, thank you, but who is this? <laughs> so make sure you log my contact information into your phone so you know that it's me. Uh, because I will be texting you. We're going to give you an opportunity on this Breakthrough Friday to give and sow a seed by faith. And uh, you know how to do it. All the information's on the screen. Uh, it will be on the screen if Maddie puts it on the screen. And there it is. Uh, you can always go. Rohan said, guilty. <laughs> uh, I love it. Uh, MiracleWord.com. What have we been asking God to do? To send us faithful partners that will stand with us at $85 a month or more. And uh, I understand that not everybody's able to stand at that level yet, but I believe you will be. The question is, what can you do today? What can you do and say, you know what? I can stand at $50 a month, a hundred, whatever it is, hundred dollars a month, $200 a month. There's people they're standing at 500, a thousand a month. There's people that are doing what they can do that moves their faith. The question is, what can you do today? that moves your faith, that puts you in position for a blessing. And here's what we ask you to do because we believe partnership is different than just somebody. And we're thankful when people sow one-time offerings, one-time seeds, we're thankful for those people and, and what they believe that uh, in this ministry and believe what God's doing through this ministry. But we believe partnership's a different thing. These are the faithful people of God that are standing with Carolyn and with me every month and believing as a part of this ministry. See, you become a part of this ministry. You become a part of the family. That the, the, the fruit that's being produced through Miracle Word, it's not just being credited to our account, it's being credited to your account in heaven. And so you become a part of this ministry. You pray for us, you're sowing monthly, but we're praying for you. You know, I have uh, our partners on my phone, a list of my partners, and I'm praying for you, praying for you weekly asking God to bless you as well. And that's why I'm saying, I'm believing with you that the last six months of this year are gonna be the best we've ever seen in our lives in Jesus' name. And so, go to miracleword.com and click the partner page and whatever you can do by faith, stand with us. Sign up today and be a part of what God is doing. For those that are sowing this month, uh, we're sending you Brother Hagin's book, which is called Biblical Keys to Financial Prosperity. You, all have, you also have a choice to, uh, to grab the book Bible Doctrines by P.C. Nelson. And um, you'll enjoy both of these, either one you'd like. And of course, those that are sowing $1,000 or more, here's the Life Application Study Bible. Look at the thick goodness of this thing. Genuine leather, New Living Translation, but there's so many wonderful notes. I believe over in this one alone, over 10,000 10,000 notes uh, that will help you go deeper in your Bible study, statistics, all the things you need to know when you're studying the Word of God. And then for those that are standing at $5,000 or more, we have the Elite Study Collection. This is the best. Custom box, uh, best study tools that I can find. 
everything put together just for you uh, to say thank you for standing with us at that, that kind of a level. Really, really appreciate it. Listen, today, 2 o'clock p.m., Carolyn will be back. Don't miss that broadcast, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and that will be what, 11 o'clock on the, on the West Coast. But don't miss it, it's going to be great. And then tomorrow, I'm leaving uh, for North Carolina. The tent meeting uh, starts on Sunday night. The tent's already up. And uh, it's gonna be a great and powerful week. If you're anywhere close, come and hang with us. It's gonna be a really, really powerful week of meetings. Uh, Three more tent meetings remain in North Carolina this year. Raleigh next week, Roxborough, North Carolina, and Albemarle, North Carolina. All those dates are on the website. We'd love to see you in person. Absolutely love to see you in person. I love you. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you again very soon. And Carolyn will see you at two o'clock. Be blessed. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.